I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Merry Christmas. Well, this morning we have the unique privilege to gather together and glory together in the birth of Jesus Christ on the same day where millions of Christians around the world are, are doing the same. So this is a special day. We celebrate that the promised Messiah at long last has come. Not only for his people Israel, but as Simeon prayed, this child was prepared by God in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So we declare Together, Isaiah's words, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. How did he come to us? Well, in our passage, we see that he came into human history according to the predetermined plan of God. And secondly, he came humbly. You see their names in verses 1 and 2, Caesar Augustus and Governor Quirinius, so kids here this morning. These are Roman rulers. I'm sure you knew that. Uh, Jesus was born at a time when Rome ruled over Israel. Jesus is not part of a make-believe fairy story. No, he, he is born into the real world under real government authorities. And these authorities made decrees. They, they made laws that you had to obey. So if you just imagine it, <clears throat> Caesar there in Rome, he is uh, amid all of his, his luxury. He has armies at his command. He's worshiped as a god. He declares, <clears throat> he decides to do a census. He wants every person across his vast empire to be counted. So with the word of one man, millions of people are summoned to obedience. They have to stop their lives. They have to travel to their ancestral hometowns in order to be registered and pay their taxes to Rome. So the world had never seen a power quite like the Roman Empire. It was immense and well-organized, and it crushed rebellion with brutal force. But despite all appearances, we know who is really ruling the world that Jesus was born into. The scriptures say our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. In the Proverbs we read, the king's heart is a stream of water and the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So God is sovereign over human rulers and their decrees. The, the authorities may pass uh, whatever laws uh, they deem best, but God holds sway over it all and his will will not be thwarted. Whatever comes to pass at the hands of men only serves to advance the will of God. 
So with his edict, Caesar Augustus, unknowingly, in the hands of God, has set in motion the predetermined plan of God that a certain couple would have to be on their way to Bethlehem at just the right time. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So God fulfills his word. 400 years earlier, God spoke through the prophet Micah, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So this, this ruler, this prophesied Messiah would be born in the city of David. And Luke is careful to tell us that Joseph, this child's earthly father, is of the house and lineage of David. Zechariah, he makes this connection too in his song. He says, the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Gabriel tells Mary that the Lord God will give to her son the throne of his father, David. So the messianic threads, they're coming together. A virgin gives birth in Bethlehem, betrothed to a man who is in David's line. So all the pieces are in place to bring forth the greatest miracle in all of human history. The eternal Son of God becomes a man. But friends, look again how he comes. He comes humbly. In chapter 2, Luke tells us three times, no less, that Jesus was laid in a manger. That's a a feeding trough for animals. He's born in a stable in a little village in Judea in the middle of the night. God in the flesh has been born. But as of yet, only these two young people know about it. He was born in obscurity and in poverty. Joseph and Mary were were poor people. They could not afford a lamb when they presented their firstborn son at the temple. They could only afford a, a pair of turtle doves. Mary speaks of her own humble estate in her song. She can't believe that God has come to her, even her. And Joseph is descended from David, but from one of David's little-known sons, Nathan. Nathan was not of the royal line. No, as it turns out, the Messiah would come from a line of David unlooked for. So this is the nature of the kingdom of God. The Bible is full of these divine reversals where the smallest of all seeds grows larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, where a stone becomes a mountain and fills the whole earth, where the first shall be last and the last first because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, we know that the line of evil kings in Israel's history ended in disgrace. But Isaiah foretold that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So glory is coming. But first, humility and suffering. That is the biblical order. Suffering, then glory. Suffering, then glory. 
And this gets to the purpose of why the eternal Son of God had to become like one of us. Here's how one theologian put it. The incarnation is the preparation of nerve endings for the nails. The incarnation is the preparation of a brow for thorns to press through. He needed to have a broad back so that there was a place for the whip. He needed to have feet so that there was a place for spikes. He needed to have a side so that there was a place for the sword to go in. He needed cheeks, fleshy cheeks, so that Judas Judas would have a, a place to kiss and there would be a place for the spit to run down that the soldiers put on him. He needed a brain and a spinal column with no vinegar and no gall so that the exquisiteness of the pain could be fully felt for you. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Think of the angel saying to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to die in order that you might be rescued. No earthly despot can thwart his purposes and no sin or suffering is beyond his healing grace. It's why he came into the world. Listen to Isaiah. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. This is our God. This is who Jesus is. He dwells with us. So friends, cling to him by faith this Christmas. Fly to him in your grief. Lay hold of him, confessing your sins. Rejoice that such a Savior has come for you. Let's take a few moments now to reflect on these things and then I will pray for us.